Welcome to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Over the next hour, Deborah, Tracy, and their guests will help you understand therapist burnout and how to feel better now. Listen close to bring vitality back to your practice. Now, here are Deborah and Tracy. Welcome to Reconceive. I'm Deborah. And I'm Tracy. And today we're talking about existential crisis. Yes, the existential crisis. All helpers experience it at some time. And often we experience more than one over the course of our lifetimes and careers. So um, we're going to talk today with a very special guest. Um, But before we bring him in and before we talk about him, um, I want to just talk a little bit about what is an existential crisis. So have you ever had an existential crisis, Tracy? Uh, The one that stands out in my mind is when I graduated from college in 1986, and I questioned what I was going to do with my life and, you know, a lot of why why am I here? And and it lasted a long time. Mm -hmm. That's the main one. I do experience small ones associated with my practice as a helper. Oh, yeah. But once I got through the big one, I feel like I can. I have strategies now that will help me avoid or come out of an existential crisis more easily. Oh, okay. Like what? what and a, a lot of them involve movement. They involve movement. No surprise there. Right. Dance, tree climbing, running. Right. An Abanyo method, neuro movement. Those those methods of moving your body help you reconnect to your meaning. It, it, absolutely. They <laughs> they like we've talked about before on this show. They help me come home to myself. Come home to yourself. Right. That's very interesting. I wonder if that's part of what happened with our guest. Maybe we can ask him about that. Sounds good. Yeah, I have been through at least a couple of existential crises. And, you know, usually they're about meaning. They're about what is the meaning for my existence, something like that. And a loss can trigger that. And a and a change, maybe a change that's unexpected, or something happens that's traumatic, those kinds of things tend to usher in an existential crisis. Um, and there's one that I'm thinking of now that I've mentioned before on this show, and that is um, going through this academic bullying situation in my university job. Um, being a tenured professor and being in this situation that was untenable, being a target and and not being able to survive it and knowing that, you know, I should be able to stay in this work, but I can't because if I do, it's going to kill me. So then having to flee just and then and then asking the question, you know, what what was that all about? I worked so hard Um to get where I was and I was doing well, but, but now I can't, I can't do that anymore. So what does that mean um, for my life? And you were tenured. So yeah. it, it was hard to get to that position and it was, it had to be a big decision Yeah. when you left. I just remember that I couldn't stop crying. 
And I was on sabbatical. I had taken a year sabbatical just to try to figure out what was I going to do. And I was writing um, and I was doing part-time private practice. And it just, one day I realized you can't go back. So I had to just not go back. And looking back on that now, do you feel like that was the right decision for you? I really do. I mean, it was so painful, but it forced me to change my life. And I remember that once I was fully away from the university and I was just working for myself, there were moments where, you know, I would be sweeping off the front stoop of of the office and watching um, delivery people doing their thing and watching other people go to work at restaurants and thinking, wow, there is a whole world out here. (laughs) <laughs> outside of campus. Right. It's like I've, I've no, gotten, nobody bullied you either, And right? nobody bullied me. Yeah. It was great. Sounds like a good choice. Yeah. Yeah. So existential crisis can bring really positive change, but it's so painful. So um, today we're going to talk about not only the existential crisis of the helper, but what can go with that, what it can feel like, and um, what are some of the things you can do about it. And um, part of what what we're going to be looking at is what one person did in his existential crisis. He he changed his life, and then he wrote a book about it. And this is my friend, Dr. Jeremy Vincent. Welcome, Jeremy. Hi, Jeremy. Yeah, hi. Hi, thank Hi, you for having welcome. me. Welcome. Welcome. So glad you're here. I mean, not here, but you're in Florida, right? Yeah, but it's good seeing you. It's good it's good being here on the show. It's really good seeing you. So so glad you're here. Um so Jeremy and I go back a ways. And actually, I'm thinking that right after my existential crisis that I was just talking about, I met you. Yeah, probably very shortly after. Very shortly, like twenty ten, maybe two thousand nine. It had to be, be two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah. I was teaching at Forest, and you were there as a student. Yeah, it would have been around two thousand nine, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah, yeah, something right in there. Yeah. yeah, and so now you're in Florida. You're a fully licensed psychologist. You're doing forensic work. Yeah, yeah. I work in um, a forensic hospital down here. And um, I live in Port St. Lucie. So kind of on the Atlantic side of the state, but down south. Um, mm-hmm. Not not terribly afflicted by the hurricane, thankfully. Oh, that's good. That's good. I meant yeah. to ask you about that. No, I got power back. It's good. Oh, good. <laughs> Were you out of power for a while? Just shortly. Yeah, maybe a day. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, so um, you've written a book yes. called 26.2 Miles. Let me, let me read this. The subtitle is How Running Alone Showed Me I Was Never Really Alone at All. It's a good read. Yeah, thank you. It's um, packed, just packed with good stuff. I was hoping that it would come across that way. You know, whenever I was writing it, I, I mentioned in there, it, it sort of started off as like this journal that I was putting together through, ex- through various experiences. And it jumps a lot, right? It's like a time mm-hmm. hop. Mm-hmm. So it, it could be annoying <laughs> you know, to some people, 
but I had hundreds of pages that I eventually just kind of ferreted through and cut a lot of things out of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's what I came up with. <laughs> that that thing that you have in front of you is what I ended up with. Hopefully it was, you know, condensed enough that I didn't um, include a lot of superfluous information, but <laughs> it's still very readable. condensed and yeah, concentrated. Readable. <laughs> it's very concentrated, I would say. It's like you don't you don't want to skip a paragraph because um, there's a lot going on. And it's it's what you did sort of to bring yourself out of the crisis, right? Yeah. Yeah. In essence, that's um, yeah. It's something that kind of started on May 30th of 2018. I remember it vividly and um, it went until, you know, kind of the day of this marathon, which was uh, December. uh, I think it was the 19th of 2020. Yeah. So it was kind of all in there. And then I, and then from there, I, I jumped back and forth, you know, in between that time, but then outside of that time to all these experiences that mm-hmm. um, I had along the way. Because mm-hmm. as it turns out, whenever you kind of just run a lot of miles, your head goes in a lot of weird places. And so mm-hmm. sometimes they just go to these these events that you've experienced and, well, why is my head here? And what's significant about this, Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I included the ones that I thought were maybe somewhat relevant to some sort of a rule that I tried to put in place in life. Mm-hmm. And I tried, I left a lot of things out. <laughs> so I tried sure. to include the most important. Well, so let's start with the existential crisis. Do you feel comfortable starting there? Yeah, of course. Um, like I said, it was it was in May. It was May 30th of 2018. And it was about two weeks after my friend Nick's 35th birthday. He uh-huh. went to the gym, did this CrossFit workout. He was really big into CrossFit, um, as, as was I at the time. And for whatever reason, he'd done thousands of these workouts. And that was the day that he was laying on the ground after the workout and just never got up. And mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. this unexpected event and it completely wrecked me in, in a way yeah. that in a way that I would have never anticipated. Right. So like you hear about people that experience these losses and kind of what it does to them. This must've been my version of that because I've never experienced anything that was, that like led me in such a position in which I felt so lost. And I tried to compensate with this loss by doing all of these other things. Right. So I I end up making a, series of decisions that kind of affected my life probably even more negatively um just trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to cope with it but all of that was the crisis that was yeah, yeah I, I i referred to it for quite a while as just depression but i don't okay. think depression quite does it justice mm-hmm. you know yeah, you I were think- grieving and you were you were feeling lost and, and you got a promotion. You got a big promotion at work at the time, right? Yeah. So one of the ways I decided to cope was just by throwing myself into work, right? Um, because that was the one thing that I knew. And I was always kind of a reliable employee. And so this this loss happened. And then I, I go to the funeral. And I, I remember the whole time, like I'm seeing these friends. And it was a great thing. And then on the Uber drive back from the airport, back uh, to my apartment in Orlando, that's when the floodgates open. Like for whatever reason, that's when I decided I'm just going to start crying hysterically, right? Mm-hmm. In the back of this guy's, in the back of this poor man's Uber. 
Oh. Yeah. And it was um, this, this, all of this numbness of the past few days had kind of worn off and, and then I was a mess. Yeah. And then from that point, there was a, a period of time where I would kind of wake up and be like, so what do I do? What am I here for? What's the point? What's the point of any of this really? And so the only thing that I knew was just, well, go to work, right? Like put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. And um, I guess during that time I showed people that I was a good employee. And so I ended up getting this promotion. Yeah. Yeah. And that so led me to relocate. Almost... <laughs> oh, it did. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So like all the, the friends and everything that I knew in Orlando. Right. So I was, I'd lived in Orlando for a few years at that point. Mm -hmm. um, but I was in this place where I didn't really care much. Right. After yeah. feeling kind of that lost and I get this promotion and they're like, well, you have to move about four hours North to Tallahassee. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll just do it. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just picked up and moved. I don't really remember a lot of the details. Mm -hmm. I remember like there's a moving truck involved, but I don't remember much wow. of it. And then I moved there and like, wait a minute now the like the, the little social network that I did have, I just separated myself from. Okay. And I know no one here. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so, so really on your own, it, so so you've lost this dear friend who's a major major connection point and then you're you're just uprooted and in a new place but it's almost like you're robotic you're just going through the motions yeah yeah i mean i i guess you don't really know what else to do until you're in that situation that was completely unique to me you know mm -hmm. i'm 33 years old i have i don't have a care in the world and then suddenly everything's very serious overnight. Nick and I had very similar lifestyles. So we're both, like I said, we're both really into CrossFit, but we both were the type that, you know, burn the candle from both ends, right? We like to go out and, and yeah. uh, stay out late and have a few drinks, uh -huh. you know, and that's, we had very similar lifestyles. And so whenever you see somebody who's just like you, who you've grown up with for 17 years and that situation, yeah, it, it changes things pretty abruptly. You talked about how it even changed your desire to work out, right? Yeah, that was that was probably the most unique part because I've always found going to the gym to be like my therapy, right? So that's always been my outlet. But then I would find myself going to these workouts and I was afraid I was going to have heart failure, like terribly afraid. Yeah. Uh -huh. And so to the point that I would go, but I would find myself not kind of going as, as hard as maybe I needed to. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, yeah. So it did that. It, it had a, it had effect on pretty much everything. That sounds like trauma symptoms in a way, kind of like avoidance. Yeah. I thought, I, I thought all along I was overreacting. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And now I realized I wasn't right. I realized I was just kind of in touch with something, you know, that was, um, that was really profoundly, it really impacted me. Right. Yeah. So, so this book that you wrote, I mean, it, it seems like a book about learning to run a marathon, learning to run 26.2 miles, but it's really a book about profound psychological change. And it's also a, a book about healing, I think. Yeah. Yeah. My, my girlfriend's uh, she's very funny. She, 
read the book. She doesn't, she cares very, she cares nothing about running. Right. And she read the book and she said, I love it because it's this book about running, but it has absolutely nothing to do with running. <laughs> so, that's how she phrased it. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. So in a moment, we're going to take a break and then when we come back, um, we're going to talk a little bit about the the book about running. That's not a book about running. And um, we're going to talk about sort of what you did and what you came to as a result of going through this period of training, um, which sort of brings you out the other side of a kind of dark tunnel. Yeah. Can't so wait. we'll talk about that after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Burnout takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference, but first need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Have a question for Deborah, Tracy, or their guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive. Welcome back. We are here today with Dr. Jeremy Vincent, a forensic psychologist in Florida who wrote a book called 26.2 Miles, How Running Alone Showed Me I Was Never Really Alone at All. And so we're talking about existential crisis today, the existential crisis of the helper. And... um, as I was mentioning before the break, this book is, it sort of seems like a book about running and it sort of seems like a book about setting a hard goal and then working toward that. And that's all in there. That's true. But there are a lot of deeper truths that are running underneath the story of your training, right? Does that, does that feel right to you? Yeah, you're, you're right on. So, so one of the, things that really strikes me, and and this is also in the subtitle of your book, I'm Not Really Alone. It's your village, your tribe. You figure out that you are surrounded by support as you go through this process. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I can. It's an interesting thing, you know, because a lot of 
the conventional wisdom, right, is that you don't have to have a thousand friends. You don't have to be able to walk to your, you know, next door and knock on the door and then hang out with your neighbor. You don't have to be able to do that. You can have friends that are a long way away. You can have important people that are a long way away and important people that you don't talk to all the time, but you still have them, right? And you have to be Mm -hmm. willing to kind of reach out to them. Mm -hmm. And so it was one of those things that um, it's interesting because as I'm starting to go through this, I felt very, very alone, right? I was doing all this running by myself and that's the way I prefer it. But there were pretty much all the waking moments were spent alone. And yeah. so as, as I'm doing these things, though, I'm kind of thinking about these people in my life. I'm thinking about myself and the way that, you know, this run is feeling today, but then in no time at all, my mind shifts into something else. And I'm, yeah. I find myself thinking about like a friend that I had in college or something like that for no reason, right? Just because my mind went there. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm thinking about the current versus the then and making these parallels. And like, there's so much of it's the same, right? So much of what I'm doing now, so much of my struggle now is the same as the struggle we thought we had back then. Uh, So much of my journey now was molded by you, right? By this person. And um, I've always felt that, I always felt that way about Nick. But as I started to go through this, I started to feel that way about other people too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I started to, kind of journal and sort of pay homage to those people, right? Uh, And write about these ways in which they affected me. Uh Uh-huh. It's almost like through the running, which is bilateral stimulation, I will will say. So it's kind of of like EMDR, like a self-EMDR. You're one foot and then the other, back and forth and back and forth. And you're thinking about these things. You're processing a ton of information. And it's it's putting you in touch with people who matter to you. Yeah. Yeah. So, was, I don't, I don't know what the mechanism was, right. But <laughs> like, I never thought about, I never connected that is, you know, the bilateral stimulation, but it, it was happening. Yeah. Right. And it was, I was thinking about people I hadn't thought about in 10 years. Right. So right. It was very strange, kind of this very strange sort of catharsis that I was experiencing pretty much all the time as I was um, right. increasing my mileage. Right. I thought it was just runner's high because everyone talked about runner's high and yeah, that was a real thing, but this was something different and it was something that I tapped into during that. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder if runner's high is actually processing a lot of information and feeling just that euphoria that goes with a kind of a relief or, or a release Sounds plausible to me. I think it's interesting that people were coming to you as you were running. We did an interview with Doug Shirley, and I was talking about self-soothing. And he described self-soothing as a remembrance of co-regulating. So, you know, you're out there running by yourself, but these people are coming to mind that Mm -hmm. you may not see very often but have played an important role in your life. So in a way you're recreating the co-regulation that you've done with these people in the past. That's yeah. great. Yeah. I like that. Uh-huh. I do too. 
And so you have, as chapter headings throughout this book, you have advice. They're little snippets, little tidbits of, of advice. And it yeah. looks like those are, those are pieces of advice for somebody who wants to run a marathon. And they sort of are, but they're much broader and deeper. Yeah, I th- they are. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, and and we've talked about how there, there are like twenty six of them. So we called them down to the ones that you felt were most important. Yes, plus, right. plus one. I'm curious about plus one. Okay, <laughs> I want to know about take care of your thin skin. So oh, oh, make sure we cover that one too. Well, maybe we should do that one now. Take care of your thin skin. Yeah, you know what that that was uh, that was meant to be a funny one that came to mind because I. As I was running these longer distances, I was realizing how bad I was chafing, right? Because I never experienced this level of like chafing from from running before. And so I didn't notice it until I would get back home and I would take a hot shower. And then I was in pain. (laughs) Then I'm suddenly in in a bunch of pain. So I'm thinking, okay, well, this is not going to be, I'm not going to have that euphoria if all i'm thinking about is this is going to be painful after uh-huh. I, I want it to be painful during i don't really want it to be painful when i get in the shower after <laughs> that should be the nice part so i started to um, consult with a friend of mine about different things i could use to make that more manageable and that's where that concept came from it was it was meant to be taken literally okay. i did i did not take it literally <laughs> yeah yeah it was meant to <laughs> okay got it got it well so so the ones of these that you feel are are the most important, which what's the number number one point in here that you think is the most important? I think that there are, it'd be hard to say a number one, but I think that one of the important ones would be to take inventory, that first one. That's the first chapter, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And kind of um, what I meant by that was, it was funny as I was running, I was thinking about all of these different times that I'd run before. Right. And the first one that I thought about was me and my dad running on the track. And oh, yes, when I was I young, love that. When, I I was, that. when I was mm-hmm. a high school uh, wrestler. So yeah. my dad had no idea. My dad tried high school wrestling and he wasn't good. <laughs> so very early on in my high school wrestling, I had already excelled past what the old man was <laughs> you know, had done. So he was trying to find ways to help me out and the, we yeah. would, he would take me to the track and we would run in the snow or whatever the conditions. Mm. And it was five miles. And he did that by counting pennies. He had 20 pennies in one pocket and he would put them over to the other pocket with each lap. But there's this whole process. There was this whole, like, I have to have my coffee. He had this whole process. Uh-huh. Uh, I, you know, we have to have this for breakfast. We have to drink coffee. We have to be ready to go. And it was this whole taking inventory. Okay. So, the idea there is that basically anything that you want to do well in life, you have to, you have to lay the groundwork, like you have to plan it out, right? There has to be some element of planning. You can't just go into things haphazardly and expect everything to work out. Sometimes they will, but often they won't. And that was, that was the idea behind take inventory. I see. Okay. So have a plan, take care of yourself, get out ahead of it. Yeah. So then the second one is, Wake up before 5 a.m. Yes, yes. That one is also one of my favorites. 
because most people aren't morning people. And I just am kind of one of those strange ones that happen uh, to be. Okay. But yeah, I, I'm a big proponent of this because I think you can get a lot done before the rest of the world is awake. Yeah. I think that probably yeah. the, the downside is that you'd have to go to sleep earlier to make it work. Mm-hmm. I don't talk a lot about like sleep hygiene and things like that in here because there's, there's a lot, I wanted to keep this as condensed as I could, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I had a lot of success by waking up early and then doing as much as I could early in the day. Mm-hmm. And that included running because Florida's hot. It's hot to run mm-hmm. in Florida. Yes. So that included getting the run out of the way. Right. Yeah. So I like what you said about how you can get, you can get a whole lot done before the rest of the world wakes up. And I guess I would add to that, that um, in times in my life when I've had a little sleep deprivation because I've been getting up early, um, I have tended to feel better in a yeah. strange way. And, it, and it's really counterintuitive because sometimes that happens in the winter for me where you would think that I would just want to sleep in later, but I feel better if I deprive myself a little bit and get up early when it's dark and do some studying or writing first thing in the morning. Yeah. I think that there's something to that. I mean, I think that there's, there's some, there's something nice about, I don't really recommend that we compare ourselves to people, but there's something nice about waking up, going into work and then looking at your coworker across the way and seeing them yawning and wiping the sleep out of their eyes, <laughs> knowing that you've already, knowing mm-hmm. that you've already done yoga, you've done your meditation, yeah. you've run six miles, you've, yeah. you're way out ahead, right? Uh-huh. Um, so it's a good feeling. It is. I love that feeling. <laughs> That's awesome. So then the third one that you list is walk and or jog. Yeah. Yeah. I think that this is all important. Um, these are, I think these are both important. I don't care which one you do. I don't care if you mix them because mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's, I, I, and I cite a little bit in the book, there's some body of research about just being out in nature and how that's better for us than looking at screens. I think we all kind of intuitively know that, but we don't, we still don't do it the way that we should. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's something to be said for kind of minimizing screen time yeah. and then going outside and just going for a walk or a jog, wherever you're at. I think that that, I think it leaves you feeling better 100% of the time. I don't, uh-huh. I don't know uh-huh. anyone that feels worse after they do right. that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And so then um, number four, meditate. This one really resonates for me because um, it's changed my whole life. I've been meditating for about the last seven years or so every morning. It's changed everything. So, so talk about that one a little bit. Yeah, that's funny. You're actually the one that recommended that. There's <laughs> there's a period of time where I was kind of asking for, hey, what's what's a bit of advice that um, that you would recommend to people if they're just trying to improve their life? And that was what you said. You said meditate. And so I started to try it out. I was trying like five minutes a day, uh-huh. and I would I was wearing my Fitbit, and what I noticed is that my heart rate would during just that five minutes, my heart rate would decrease usually markedly, and then. I started to apply it more and more. And so Mm -hmm. I started to um, try to really focus on not letting, because meditating is hard for me. I tried to really focus on not letting the thoughts run away with me and then um, just kind of focus on the breathing. Right. Yeah. What I found is I would 
then go out and do these long runs on my Saturdays. And I would focus on the exact same thing, right? I would focus on breathing and I would Mm -hmm. focus on these bodily sensations that I was having. Mm -hmm. And then I had all these thoughts about people (laughs) that I'd known in life coming through my mind, but ultimately my body would kind of pull it back to, well, your, your hip flexors are feeling pretty tight, right? So (laughs) it, it became something important to me. And plus I was, I was noticing that I felt calmer okay. and that people were seeing me calmer, right? Like people were uh, commenting. My mom commented on how calm I was. Wow. And that's not normal. <laughs> she, even told me, she told me you're not interrupting as much as usual because in, in my family, whenever you're around them for Christmas, the, the only way to get a word in is to interrupt. <laughs> and I was just sitting back much more. And so I think it was helpful. Mm. I think it was helpful in a lot of ways. Well, that's great that other people were validating uh-huh. the changes you were feeling. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 And you great. know, the, the running seems like a meditation. Absolutely. Yeah. Paying attention to bodily sensations yeah. and breathing. Yeah. Yeah. That's mindfulness meditation right there. Right. Yeah. So you were getting a lot of meditation in, it seems. Yeah. I think, I, I think it was helping. <laughs> yeah. So um, you also mentioned reading a good book or re- just reading a book, reading it. Yeah. Yeah. Or an article or whatever you're really into. I think that there's, I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of information that people have given us that we don't use. Like I, my, I mentioned my favorite store is Barnes and Noble and I go in there and I get mm-hmm. overwhelmed by mm-hmm. all these brilliant people who have, who have put all this brilliant stuff into these brilliant words on these awesome pages. <laughs> right. And I'm never going to read most of it. There yeah. are millions of pages in there and I'm never going to get around to most of it. And yeah. that frustrates me. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I think they've got all this wisdom on these pages. We have to at least try. <laughs> right. right. It's like to take a thimble full of the ocean, but yeah. Yeah. We got to at least try. Thimble. You got to try yeah. to read. <laughs> got to get a little bit. And then real quickly, um, the other one you mentioned is smiling back. Yeah. Yeah. There was this, there was this article that I was reading that was saying that people were experiencing less pain during long runs if they smiled. Mm-hmm. And so I started to try it out. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed is that whenever you smile at people, whenever you pass them, an interesting thing happens. They smile back. Right. Smile mm-hmm. And it feels, yeah. it feels nice to have, it feels nice to have an exchange of positivity without anything else attached. Okay. So that's, that's awesome. kind of where smile back came from. Okay. So after the break, I want to talk about this um, this next one where there's a couple more that we need to talk about after the break that I think are really, really important. So um, join us back here in a few minutes. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Burnout takes a toll on your effectiveness with clients, patients, and students, even your kids. Reconceive brings help for all the gifted helpers out there who want to make a difference, but first need to feel better, more awake, and more creative. Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield show you a whole new way to think about mental health and the body, offering insight and inspiration to help bring back the vibrancy and joy to your work in the world. 
If you teach, do therapy, or provide any kind of human service, it's time to reconceive. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're listening to Reconceive with Deborah Cox and Tracy Maxfield. Have a question for Deborah, Tracy, or their guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to Reconceive. Welcome back to Reconceive. We are here with Dr. Jeremy Vincent today, and we're talking about existential crisis for the helping professional and ways to bring yourself out of it and bring yourself to um, the life change that's needed. And so we were going through your list, Jeremy, of maybe the most important concepts in the book that you advise. And the the one that we were just about to get to is unplug from social media. Why do you think this is important for us? Uh, I could go on about this one for a while. Um, but, but I think that this is important because, so this idea came to me whenever I was at the dinner table over Christmas um, with my friend Garrett and his wife, Danny, and then um, their daughter, Charlotte, who I write a lot about. Oh, in the book. Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. So she, I, I didn't notice it at the time, but I, as I'm having dinner with them, I had my phone in my hand and they didn't call me on it, but they did mention that they're never going to do that at the table. They're never going to have phones at the dinner table. Uh-huh. And they both mentioned that it's important to take time away from social media. Mm-hmm. They're so right. <laughs> because yeah. during this time when I'm struggling and I'm on, you know, Facebook or whatever, mm-hmm. and everyone's showing their best life, this doesn't help me. This doesn't help me to feel much better. No. So I, I kind of decreased social media and I spent more time in books and in articles and Mm. doing yoga and meditating and doing those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And it was tremendously helpful. Like, I mean, there were times that, that I would, you know, I would get done with a six mile run and I would come back in and I would log back in real quick. And I would notice that my same family members who were still on. Right. And I'm thinking that just seems like such a tremendous waste of time. Yeah. But I I also think that there's, I think that there are a lot of reasons that unplugging from social media for at least periods of time, or at least minimizing its use could be beneficial. Mm -hmm. I I think it's, I think it's most harmful probably for young people right Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Um, but in any case, I think that it's good to stay away from it. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. Right. We see a lot of people who struggle with putting their screens away. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, it's becoming a, a, a recognized addiction, process addiction. And anecdotally, I can say that um, extreme use 
of social media and, and internet in general, just being on a screen, on a device for hours and hours um, can result in some of the same symptoms that you would see in a heroin addict, for instance. It's, it's got a similar impact on the body. I believe wow. it. Wow. Yeah, so that's, that seems really, really important, the unplugging. So then the next one is rep up. What does this mean? Yeah, this is kind of my way of saying take, take the harder option when you can. Right. So I had a running coach during much Ooh. of this and she was, she's out in California and she was kind of um, just using, I had, I used an app where she would program what run I was going to do and I would do it. Right. And then if I struggled, we would figure it out. Um, oftentimes I didn't, she would set up these hard runs for me and I, and I wouldn't meet the goal. Right. So typically these are fast runs. These are like tempo runs where I'm supposed to run six minute miles or whatever. And I wouldn't meet the goal like 90% of the time. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, but, but I'm not going to change it. Right. You're going to get to the point where you're going to get there. And uh, so she would also do this thing. And she was right, by the way, I did. I got to the point where I got there and then she would set the bar even higher and it was miserable, but okay. it got to the point where I was able to run a marathon. <laughs> so, but there was also this, this other thing that she would do where she would give me an option for these long runs. Like today you can run, 13 or 14 miles, somewhere from 13 to 14, anywhere in there. Uh -huh. And I would always choose the harder option um, because my, I, my idea here is I'd rather have an easy finish to a hard journey than a hard finish to an easy one. Oh, right. Okay. So I, I think it's not, a, it's not about being like hard and tough. It's not about like proving that you're tougher than that person. It's about being the kind of person who shows up and doesn't cut corners in life. That is so, you. That is so you. That's what rep up is. Rep up. Okay. So yeah. I, I brought in a quote for rep up. Okay. So this is from Dr. Michael Merzenich, who's oh, yeah. known as the father of neuroplasticity. And he says, giving up the harder things in life just because you no longer choose to be challenged by life in any significant way can be self-destructive to independence and health. Mm. So I, I know a lot of people, as they get older, they do less and less and less. Mm. But in reality, they should be doing repping up like you're talking about. Up. Yeah, I like that. Oh, I do too. That's, that's so, that's life. That's the opposite of death. That's right. Doing the hard thing, choosing to do the hard thing. Be challenged. Yes, absolutely. And so I can't help but notice that a lot of this is counterintuitive. I think, I think every one of these steps help to move you from a darker place into a lighter place. And I also parenthetically have to say that in every one of these steps, you mention a person. So yeah. it, it's like even the unplugged from social media, you're talking about this family, your friends and little Charlotte, and yeah. they're, they're talking about how they're going to raise her. Um, they're going to be sitting around the table for dinner without their phones, without their devices. And that has an effect on you. So there's connection all through this story. Even the advice um, that, that was leading you to be able to run a marathon. Yeah, that's, that's all. <laughs> that's all what I took from it too. And yeah. I'm going to 
unfortunately, it took me a long time to put that into words, <laughs> but but it got there eventually. But you did. Yes, yeah, you did. Eventually. Well, you kept doing all of these things until you were able to run a marathon. I'm curious at what point, because if you hadn't been feeling as if it was helping you, you may have stopped. So it sounds like incrementally you were knowing, maybe even if you weren't feeling, that this was a path for you to heal. Yeah, I think I, I think that that is what happened. I think I was at the beginning of this, I just didn't like feeling like crap, right? And so I found myself throwing things at the wall and just seeing what stuck. Uh-huh. And I was trying to give everything uh, enough time, right? To where if this is going to be helpful, then, then I'm going to apply it. And so these are the things that I came up with that were probably the most helpful. Um, but yeah, the things that weren't, I didn't write about. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, it's taking a step back here and kind of looking at your story in broad strokes and thinking about what we can offer to listeners who are um, helping professionals or helpers of one kind or another. I have some questions that might help our listeners kind of zero in on things that maybe they avoid, but they know they really need to do. Maybe they really want to do like, what do I know would be good for me, but I don't ever seem to make time for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, there are a handful of things. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that it would probably be good for, for many of us, me included, to receive our own personal psychotherapy. Oh, yes. And I don't, I don't find myself doing that. I find myself kind of pulling myself up by my bootstraps and being stubborn. And, you know, I'm, and, I, and I'm a psychologist. Right? So, but, you know, you've got to got to be able to buy the thing that you're selling. But I just kind of do it myself. And um, yeah. probably another one of those things would would be traveling. I love uh-huh. to travel, but then I'm not a big fan of spending time in airports and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. So, you know, there, there are things I should be doing that uh-huh. I don't do enough of. <laughs> well, for me, cooking is in that. And we've talked about meal prep and how you, you go to, you know, links every weekend to get yourself ready for the next week. You make your salmon and you get your spinach ready and it's it's the same stuff all the time, but it's ready for you. That's so boring. It's so boring. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but, but I really admire that you do that because you, then there's no, there's no uh, dithering around later to try to figure out what you're going to eat. Because if you're, caught at the last minute and you're hungry, it's not going to be a great choice. You've got it all down to a science and you cook on the weekend. Yeah. I yeah. Like cooking is that. a good example. Yeah. Cooking is a good example of one of those. <laughs> yeah. Do you have one of those things? I do. I find writing extremely beneficial, but I don't, I don't practice it very often. Hmm. And you're a good writer too. Thank you. Well, yeah, I, you know, writing, I think we've talked about journaling too. What's something that, yeah. Journaling would be one of mine. Yeah. And yet you're a writer. Yeah. It was, it's funny. Once I started, I loved it. Kind of like what what both of you were saying, once I get into it, it was great, you know, Mm -hmm. and then, um, but day to day, yeah, I tend to do the other things more. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. 
So another way of asking the question, what do I know I need to do, but I avoid because it doesn't sound fun? So journaling, I mean, I avoid journaling, but I love writing. Like if you give me a writing prompt or if I have a goal, if I have to write something up, I will do that. But to sit down and do the morning pages every day, Julia, uh, Julia Cameron's morning pages, you know, where you write three longhand pages every morning. I know that would be super good for me, but I don't, something, something in me resists doing that. So is there yeah. something else? There's something that you avoid because it doesn't sound fun. You know, you need to do it. It doesn't sound fun. I'm sure there are many, but I didn't, I didn't think of one before I came in. So <laughs> what about cleaning out sure. your closets? Well, yeah. Cleaning my house. Would, cleaning. That's an ongoing thing for sure. <laughs> uh, so let's see. What would I indulge in? What would I love to indulge in if only it didn't seem so selfish or expensive or out of reach for me? Yeah, sometimes that I think that traveling falls in here too. I think I would like to travel abroad more. And this would be one of those. I also think that one of mine would be maybe to just take an entire day out of the week for self-care and, you know, do deep tissue massage and go to the chiropractor Mm -hmm. and do all of these other things that I really didn't do in preparation for this book. Because again, it was mostly during COVID and it was just hard. You couldn't get your teeth cleaned. You couldn't get an appointment to get your teeth cleaned, you know? So the self-care things were hard. Right. So instead of deep tissue massage, I did foam rolling. And <laughs> probably now that now that those things aren't restricted, I would I would probably do that. Yeah. A day of self-care. Complete day. Yeah. yeah. Just leave the phone at home. Don't worry about the phone Ooh. and just do self-care stuff. Leave the phone at home. Yeah. Sounds wonderful. It does. I would do a lot more social dancing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you could, right? I could. I would have to travel some, which uh-huh. is expensive, but okay. at least social dancing is back. I yeah. mean, during the depth of the pandemic, it was gone. Right. So um, another question I have for, for you guys and for our listeners, when was the last time that you laughed really hard? I do often. <laughs> I do. I do most days, but probably last weekend was the last time that I that I laughed really hard. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that. Um, yeah, my girlfriend's kids were being funny, so <laughs> okay. they're usually good for a laugh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, kids well, are. Good. Deborah, when you and I get together, we almost always laugh. Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Making up limericks or whatever. Right. Yeah. I like to make up limericks. I like to make up crude poems. And um, I I get tickled by things that I can't share with anybody. I can't say out loud why I'm laughing. <laughs> but it's some of the best stuff. I mean, it's. I wish I would say it out loud. I wish I would share more when I'm amused. So inappropriate humor for you. Inappropriate humor. <laughs> I like Perfect. it. Best yeah, now we're all curious. So right. You'll have to start expressing it. Well, I will. Um, but it reminds me of pranks that you used to pull, Jeremy. Do you remember yourself as a bit of a prankster? I, I remember. Yeah, I remember a lot of that. 
Yeah. <laughs> I remember doing silly things all the time. And Do you remember? very few people thought they were funny. <laughs> well, but, but your friend who you subscribed to magazines, thought, yeah. right, didn't he think that that was funny? <laughs> <laughs> well, his they were. I, I just subscribed him to having magazines delivered to his work, so oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was where it was a little bit less funny. But they weren't made me laugh. <laughs> they weren't terrible. They weren't inappropriate. I think it was called Baby Talk or something. I think it was a. It was a. It was a magazine for parent expected parents, and he he was not one. <laughs> so he, he didn't find it quite as funny as I. He did. didn't laugh. Oh my yeah. god. But later on, he went on to have Charlotte. So maybe he learned it here too. Oh, that was Charlotte's daddy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. My friend oh, okay. Garrett. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't think yeah. it was funny at the time. He didn't. Oh, <laughs> no. my gosh. Well, I know we're about out of time. So um, let's just return to the idea of the existential crisis for a minute. And what we've been talking about here is the fact that probably all of us have experienced it. We will experience it if we haven't already. And there are these processes that we might be led to, like you were led to start running, um, that can sort of help dig out of the hole or, or come out of the tunnel, however you want to think about that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the advice my, my friend Mike Lane gave me was, um, you know, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Oh, and, I love that. And I told him, and I asked him, yeah, but you ran a marathon. And he, this is true. He once ran a marathon on zero training. Mm-hmm. And I said, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, the same way you do anything that's difficult in life. And I said, well, how do you do that? And he said, left foot, right foot. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Jeremy Vincent. Thank you. Yeah. Thank right you for having us. me. Write to us at reconceivedtherapy at gmail.com and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Reconceive. We hope you've learned something today you can use to reconnect and feel better. Tune in next week for more on transforming practice. Until then, have a great week.